Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. You can have a seat. It's so great to be uh, in the house with you today. And if you're a guest here at Elevate Church, I want to say welcome. Uh, my name is Colby. I'm the pastor here. And if you weren't here last week, you need to go back and listen to the message because my wife brought an unbelievable word. It was awesome. And we've been in this series called Joy Jitsu, and I'm going to come at it a little bit differently today. It was about three years ago that I was introduced to a book by an, a psychologist named Brene Brown. And it's called Braving the Wilderness. And the whole book is great. But there is one chapter that was really speaking my language. It had my heart. It's chapter four. And the title of chapter four is this. People are hard to hate close up. Move in. Do you love that? People are hard to hate close up. So move in. Get to, get to know them. Just get into their world. And the reason why this chapter just jumped out at me is because Jesus was the king of moving in. Was he not? I mean, this is what he did. In the beginning was the word, and the, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Like that's Jesus. The message version of that verse tells us that Jesus moved into the neighborhood. I love that. He came into the hood. He came to do life with us. He came to experience what we experience. He came to sit in solidarity with the struggles of humanity and go through what we went through. And I think about the woman at the well. One of my favorite stories, one of our favorite stories here at Elevate, because it's all about brokenness and hurting and searching for something to fill some void in our life that cannot be filled. And Jesus shows up on the scene and he just sits with this woman, sits next to her, gets to learn about, about her, her story. He says, you know, I have something that can fill that void. I have a living water, something that you'll never get thirsty again. And so I love the fact that Jesus just showed up and he sat with her. At a period in history, by the way, when, when the Samaritans and the Jews were just at odds with one another. In fact, they were building a, a, a road around Samaria so no one would have to go through it because there was such hatred between, between the two groups. And what does Jesus do? He just rolls right up into the middle of town. And he sits there at this well with this woman, the least suspecting person. In fact, a woman who had been shunned by her own people. And Jesus sits down with her. And at this point in history, Jesus is unquestionably a rabbi, and rabbis would not dare be caught in such a place or dare be caught with such a, a woman because the Jewish, the Jewish system of religion for rabbis uh, was all about moving away and not moving in. And Jesus moved in. He just got right up there and just moved in. And the rabbi, the rabbinical system was all about being separate. It was all about being better than. It was all about being over And the problem with a system uh, like that where God's people are moving away instead of moving in is that it makes it really hard to, to love people that you move away from. It makes it really hard to love the people that for God so loved from a, a distance. But Jesus moves in. And think about the woman caught in adultery. If you remember that story, when, when everyone else was going to, to stone her, Jesus steps in right into the middle of it. And, and he doesn't even uh, address the, the adultery before he defends her. Now, he gets to the adultery part. Like, he doesn't just sweep that under the rug. He doesn't just let it go. He doesn't ignore it. He gets to it. But what does he do first? He comes to her defense. And he steps in into that moment because Jesus understands 
that this woman was not a child just dreaming of the day that she would commit adultery and wake up and, and almost get stoned. That was not a dream of her heart. In fact, Jesus understood something that we often forget, and that is there's always a story behind the story. How many of you know that? There's always a story behind the story. In fact, that could be our message today. We could just go home. If you would just remember the people that you don't like, the people that you don't agree with, the people that you see things in their life that you don't like or are concerned about, there's always a story behind the story. And Jesus knew that about this, this woman. And when according to the law, she, she could be stoned, the creator of the universe doesn't step away. He steps into it. He says, you know what? You could throw the stones at me. In fact, what does he say? He says, you without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. And then what does he do privately? He says to the woman, stop committing adultery. Like, don't do that. I, I, don't do it because it hurts your family. Don't do it because it hurts your, your kids. Your kids are in counseling because of it. Your husband is, you know, he, he's, he's hurting. The other family is hurting as well. It's not even like Jesus says, by the way, it's horrible, it's awful. What he says is, you see why I say don't do it? Do you see why I put in the Ten Commandments? It's not some arbitrary thing in there. It's because it hurts you. It causes you pain. And Jesus wanted to just come and sit with her defends her, her publicly, but then he talks to her privately. He comes in and gets, gets close. He moves in. People are hard to hate. Close up, so move in. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, that, Colby, I get the whole move-in thing, and I get that Jesus was the king of, of moving into people's lives, but what do you do? Here's a question. When you are fundamentally opposed to, to the, the beliefs or the, the lifestyle of the people that we should move into. Can I just free you up for a moment? Moving in is not a sign of consent. It's a sign of compassion. It's a sign of just loving people. And what this world desperately needs today, what our culture is lacking greatly, is compassion. Is it not? It's compassion. We just lost compassion. And Jesus was, was the king of moving in. In fact, in a word, it's this right here if you want to write it down. It's just empathy. It's empathy. That's the real term for it. And you can't fake empathy. You can't act like you are, you're empathetic. Like the only way to demonstrate empathy is to move in. The only way to demonstrate true empathy is to, is to get close to people, to understand what it is they're, they're going through. The only way is to sit with them like Jesus did with the woman at the well and say, tell me your story. And let's see what happens. Tell me your story. And what all good books do these days is after the, the chapter kind of title, there's often a quote by another author that kind of foreshadows what the entire chapter is going to be about. And this is really where I want to lean in and press in today. Because in Braving the Wilderness, in chapter 4, there's a quote that, that it just wrecked me. It's messed with me. It's shaped a lot of the conversations I've had, especially in this last year. And I'm hoping it, it connects with you. It's by James A. Baldwin. And here's how the quote goes. I imagine one of the reasons people cling to their hates so stubbornly. And don't you see that? Hello, Facebook. Hello, Instagram. Hello, here's my position. Hello, here's my, my thoughts. And, and here's what I believe. People cling to their hate so stubbornly is because they sense that once hate is gone, they'll be forced to deal with pain. You know why that messed with me? Is because we have an angry culture, do we not? 
This is an angry culture. Isn't there just this underlying sense? There's this like this root of anger that's, that's beginning to produce this, this fruit that's killing our joy, that's killing the, our, the, 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 the human soul, that everybody's out to win a fight, everybody's out to push their thing, everybody's out for, for their agenda to be heard. You know, hear my voice, hear what I have to say, even if it means shouting over you. Even if it means being ungracious and unkind, this rhetoric. And I just listen to all that's happening in the world. And I think, man, it's got to be getting worse so it will get better. That I really think the enemy is doing all he can in this season to divide and destroy. And he's pressing extra hard because we're just, we're just angry. Angry as people. And that quote, like, uh, the reason why we cling to our hate so stubbornly is because once... Hate is gone. We realize that there's something that lies deeper. That every time there is some, um, something erupts where there's a national response in anger, every time I personally have, have something happen that, that I'm angry, I've just been training myself to go, okay, wait, wait, wait. Anger is the fruit here. Anger is the hard protective shell, the outer covering over the pain that I feel. I think we've just been in pain. I think as a nation, we've been in pain. We've been in mourning. And do you know why we love anger in place of pain? Anger feels like something you can control. Pain feels like an acknowledgement of an uncontrollable weakness. And we don't like weakness. Come on. If you're born in America, you're born into this culture, weakness is not a word that we like to use. In fact, you were born into a culture that in no way, shape, or form likes to affirm weakness. Our culture is, no, figure it out. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Come on, suck it up. You know, work it out. Live in the self-help section of Barnes & Noble. Come on, you got to do something to work this out in your, your life. We don't affirm weakness. We don't place a value on weakness. The problem is the kingdom of God sees it completely different. It has an amazing place in God's kingdom. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this. Uh, Paul saying, I pleaded with God to free me from this pain that I felt, from this, this hurting that I had over and over. Free me, God. And what was God's response? No, because my grace is enough. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. In other words, you want real freedom? You can't avoid your pain. You want to find real freedom and relief from that hurt? You can't refuse to face that pain. And a lot of times what we do is our response is we want to replace it with anger. We want to replace it with numbing behaviors, destructive behaviors. We want to replace it with anything other than to address it. And Paul says what we have to do is be brave enough to give it a name. Cry out to God. Call it what it is. So let's do this. Let's talk about pain. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? Let's talk about pain because the reality is we're all going to experience it. And some of you, I'm guessing you're in the middle of it right now. And you're doing everything that you can to avoid addressing the pain. Now, here's also the reality. There's many of you in this room that pain is not the anthem of your heart today. You're in a great place. And we celebrate that with you, by the way. That's what God's word tells us to do. We are to, to mourn with those who mourn. We're to rejoice with those who rejoice. And so we're grateful that you are in a place 
of celebration today, but that does not mean you don't get to pay attention and lean in. Because how many of you know you are just one phone call away? You are one test result away. You are one death in your family away from pain being the predominant season of your life. And so you need to lean into this too. Because the beautiful thing about God's word is that he has so much to say about pain. And he is deeply invested in our pain. And he wants to comfort us in our pain. Now, real quick, some of our pain is outsourced. Meaning, some of you walked in here and you're in profound pain, not because of anything that you did. It's outsourced. Someone betrayed you and you had no part to play in it. It's outsourced. Someone got sick in your family. It was unexpected. A family member passed away. That pain is outsourced. We could go down the list of all the ways there's outsourced pain in our life, but we are also equal parts insourced pain. That's the pain you brought on yourself. That's the decisions that you made that have led to painful moments in your life. The Bible tells us that there's a a sin nature that we all experience. And so from birth, we're going to make bad decisions. That's what he says, that, that we will experience pain. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And so that's why we need to talk about it. We need to know how to, how to manage it, how to steward our pain. And I know this is joy jitsu, and we're supposed to be, you know, talking about how do we have joy no matter what we, we face today. But how many of you know the greatest joy is often found on the other side of your greatest pain? Right? Hello, Jesus. Hello, the cross. Hello, root canal. (laughs) Hello, motherhood having babies. Right? Your greatest joy is often found on the other side of greatest pain. So we need to lean in and understand how to steward the pain that we have in our life. And those of you that are products of the 90s, you're going to appreciate this title. It's taken directly from that great theologian, MC Rob Bass. It's called this, Joy and Pain. Sunshine and rain. Give me now. Joy. Yeah. And pain. Come on, you take it. That's what I'm talking about. Come on, I'm having fun. Are you having fun? See? It's not all painful. Stop, I made you do that. But Rob Bates got it right, did he not? That on this side of the grave... We're all going to have seasons of joy and seasons of pain. There's going to be days filled with sunshine. There's going to be days where it feels like it's rain. And so we cannot be free. Like Galatians 5, 1, free, where Jesus says, I came so that you would be free. So you need to, to stay free. The Bible tells us those, you know, if the son has set you free, you're free indeed. That he wants you to have that kind of freedom. You can't have that if you don't know how to steward your pain. Wait, 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 you mean how to get rid of my pain? No. Unfortunately, I mean steward your pain. Because you, you can't, on this side of eternity, get rid of pain. It's not something you can get rid of. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing you have to steward. It's a thing you have to manage on this side. But here's where we are as humans. Like, we want to get rid of it as fast as possible. Don't we? When you feel pain, aren't you ready to, to move beyond it as quick as you can? God, God, help me get past this. God, fix this. Well, I pray my happy prayers. Or, or God, what do I need to do to move beyond this? I don't want to be in pain. Make me happy. But because generally that's not the way that God works, I want to set the stage again for a moment. 
I'm going to do it by giving you two Cliff Note versions of stories in the Bible. Cliff was my favorite friend in college. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and so uh, I'm going to gloss over these pretty quickly. And so you can go back and, and read them. So I just need you to give me some grace. One's in the New Testament. One's in the Old Testament. But then what we're going to do is turn our attention to God. Give our undivided attention to God and have him just meet us here in a moment. And I'm just believing that his word today is going to set the table in faith for a moment that he wants to have with you that you have not allowed yourself to have for one reason or another. This has been a year. It's been a year. And it's been high paced on some levels, and we have just not had time to, to just sit. And I'm believing God wants to meet you in just a moment where we just sit. So here's the first story. In fact, let's do this. Because we're at church and we're all, you know, good, good Christians at church, let's memorize a verse. And I promise you, you can do it. I'm going to say it one time, then you can repeat it. But John 11:35, you ready? Here it is. Jesus wept. All right, you got it? Take it away from the screen. Ready? One, two, three. Say it out loud. You guys are amazing. Unbelievable church that we have. Jesus wept. Now, what I've discovered is that the longer that you read this amazing book called the Bible that, that comes alive, right, it's living and it's active, um, that it takes on different dimensions and different layers the more you get into it. And I don't know when it was in my faith journey when I could read something like this and not gloss over it that I could read that Jesus wept and I had gone through enough life, I had gone through enough experiences, I had had enough moments happen to me where I just didn't pass over it. And I, I began to understand the, the incredible theological implications of a God who would weep, of a God who would meet you in your moment, meet you in your, your sadness. And so what's beautiful about this moment is that Jesus had a good friend named Lazarus who was really sick. And he was dying, and his, his, his sisters, Mary and Martha, which theologians believe that Jesus' closest friends on the earth were Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Well, they send word to Jesus that, hey, the, the, the person that you love, that's what John calls him, is sick, and he needs your help. And Jesus is in another town at the time, and Jesus' response to them is, okay, I'm coming. This is not going to end in death. That's what he says to them. And so, like... He waits, though, a couple more days. Mary and Martha are thinking, you know what? Jesus is going to fix this. Like, he could speak a word from where he is, and he'll, he'll get better, or he's going to come right away. But Jesus waits a couple more days because his time frame is not our time frame. How many of you know that? But he's always on time. He's always on time. And so he waits a couple more days, and Lazarus dies, which is a, a problem. It's a scientific problem. It's a decomposition problem. When Jesus, right, what's interesting is when the people came and told him, hey, Lazarus is sick, he said, okay, by the way, let everybody know it's going to be okay. That's what he said. So the assumption was he was going to speak a word and he'd be healed or he'd be close on their heels and come right away. But he waits two more days, finally shows up. Martha runs out to meet him when she hears he's at town. And what is Martha? She's angry. She's mad. She's upset because when you're in deep pain, the safe play, even with God, is anger. Because as soon as you get rid of anger, you have to acknowledge the fact that you're in pain. You have to address that, that you're really hurting inside. And this is, that's where Martha was. Like, isn't that where any of us would be in this moment? And so Jesus 
He goes, all right, all right, show me where the tomb is. And they take him over to the tomb. And when he gets to the grave, there's a lot of people there. The Bible says there's a whole crowd. And, and they're doing their ancient rituals, which are beautiful, by the way, of mourning and lamenting. And don't miss this. Jesus already said it would not end in death that he's going to raise them from the dead. He knew that. But what does it say? Jesus sat there with him and Jesus wept. Now, let me ask you this. If you knew that you were going to raise Lazarus from the dead, if you knew there was going to be a celebration that you wouldn't have to weep, why would you waste time weeping? Why would you waste time when you already know there's going to be a celebration? Like, like that seems like poor stewardship to me, doesn't it not? That seems like a waste of energy. That seems like a waste of, of tears because after all, we're Americans and we problem solve. We fix things. So why on earth would you sit there and cry and perpetuate the sadness when you knew? It almost seems like a cruel joke to sit there and cry when you know you're about to raise him from the dead. I think Jesus is teaching us something here so significant about life, so significant about the way you and I deal with our pain. He's teaching us something so sacred about how we sit in something and not just solve it. And we let it sit because our minds have been programmed to, well, I got to fix this. I got to fix this. Let's, let's solve this. Let's get by this. And Jesus is teaching everyone, yeah, yeah, I'm going to solve it. But first we need to sit. I didn't come here just to solve. I came here to, to sit because why? Sitting is every bit as important as solving. It's solving. Sometimes it's just sitting. Isn't that what he did with the woman at the well? The first thing he did, which got him in trouble, by the way, is he just sat with her. He leaned in. He said, I, I want to hear about your story. He learns about her life. He says, I, I know you weren't a little girl that was playing in the backyard, dreaming of the day you would be on, on marriage number six after getting divorced five times. I'm just going to sit with you. I know you weren't a little girl dreaming of the day that you would go from bed to bed to bed, compromising your virtue, compromising your value, carrying relational trauma with you. I know that was not your heart as a little girl growing up. So I just want to sit with you. I'm not going to point fingers at you. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to tell you all the ways that you messed up. I simply want to sit in solidarity with you. And if we laugh, we laugh. If we cry, then we cry. If we have no idea what to do with our emotions because it's awkward, then we'll just sit. Because the creator of the universe didn't just come to solve. He came to sit. And we forget that he just wants to, to sit with us. Let's think about Job. Let's get off of Jesus wept. You remember Job? Like, dang, right? If you remember anything about Job, in fact, if you want to go back and read it, you know, this week, pack a lunch. It's like 50 chapters. It's going to take you a little while to do it. But something so beautiful happens at the beginning of the book of Job. If you look up, you know, the word Job in the dictionary, uh, it says next to it, worst possible case scenario ever. Because Job was one of the most righteous people on the planet. That's what the Bible tells us. So, by the way, if this is a whole works-based thing, then nobody deserved. Job certainly didn't deserve to go through what he went through, but it's not based on our works. But that's some of your pain, is it not? Because you're like, Colby, I'm a good person. 
You know, I'm, I'm kind, I'm gracious, and I see other people that aren't going through what I'm going through, and they're not as kind as me, they're not as gracious as me, it's not fair, it doesn't seem like justice. That could be your pain today. But God, he trusts Job, and, and don't miss this, he trusts Job with trouble. See, it's one thing for God to trust you with a blessing, it's a completely different thing for God to trust you with trouble, is it not? I wonder if you're a person God can trust with trouble. I wonder if it's because of the trouble you're, you're going through right now, God knows, listen, I want you to trust me with that. But Job, he loses everything. He trusts him with, with trouble. He loses his family. He loses his health. He loses his kids. They die. His wife is the only one left. And she looks at Job and says, hey, Job, you should just curse God and die. In fact, this is how I hear it. Curse God and die, Job. I think she's like a two-pack-a-day smoker. Curse God. I don't know. This is how I see it. Curse God and die, Job. Because why? She's, in, she's angry. She's angry. She's lost her kids. And if she, she gets, looks past the fact that she's angry, she might have to acknowledge that she's in pain too. Because she's lost everything. And so what happens next? Job is devastated. All of us would be. And this, there's this ancient uh, uh, custom, this ritual so beautiful where friends would just come. And for seven Days, it's called sitting shiva. Sit shiva. You got to watch out how you say that, but sit shiva, where they would do nothing. But in an act of solidarity, they would just come and sit and not say a word. Sit with him. They would cry with him if he wanted to cry, or they would just sit with him. In fact, what they would do is, and some of you have done this with uh, some of your friends or, or family members that have gotten cancer, they shaved their heads. And they literally sat in the ash and the dust and just sat with him in that, that moment for seven days. So that's what shiva means. It just means seven. And then as soon as that time was up, you know what they did? They tried to solve the problem of why this happened. And everything went sideways. They tried to figure it out. They tried to answer the question of why God would allow this to happen to Job because what they believed in this, this ancient Hebrew world as well was that if anything happened to you, it's because you messed up and you screwed up and then God made it happen in your life that it was paid back. And so they start fighting about why it happened like this or how could this happen. There's disunity, there's discord. If this was today, they would have eventually all left and started new denominations. Come on, that's how it happens. But for all the hundred beautiful lessons that Job teaches us, here's the one that I believe we need to hear. That God is saying to us as a nation, as a city, as a church, as people, as, as husbands, as wives, as sons, as daughters, God is saying to us, there needs to be more sitting and less solving. More sitting, less solving. It's okay. It's okay to sit. See, this could be exactly what you need today. You have not had a chance to sit and lament and mourn loss or pain that's in your life. See, we see, God sees lamenting as something sacred. We see lamenting as a problem that needs to be solved, that needs to be fixed. And I'm telling you, we need a whole lot more sitting. We need a whole lot more people moving in and not moving away. 
Because it's really hard to hate each other close up. Is it not? And so, so Job sat there and he just took it on the chin by these, these so-called friends. Like if you need friends like, you know, got friends like these, who needs enemies? They try to solve everything and how certain they are of why this happened and why that happened. Don't you hear that all over the place? How certain people are of things. And how many of you know at best certainty is limited on this side of eternity? At best. But what's not limited is solidarity. What's not limited is empathy. What's not limited is the ability to, to sit next to someone and say, tell me your story. Tell me what's going on in your life. And let's just see what happens. Jesus wept. Job wept. And could it be that it's your turn and my turn? And I know this is, I might get emotional. I don't know. I'm sorry, dudes, if that happens. But someone once said that the Holy Spirit turns every man into a fifth grade boy at some point in his life. So I'm just... It was about, it was actually just last week, had a conversation. This is kind of where a lot of this is coming from. Because I was having a conversation with a young man, and he might be here today. I, I don't know if he is or not. And he just kept telling me over and over, I just want to kill myself. I just want to kill myself. And I didn't know what to do. I really I had no words. I had no words to say. And I always struggle with mental illness. And, and then even just this week with our, some of our students, they're writing out things that they want to talk about, about abuse, about sexual abuse, about things happening. Even just a, a week ago, and, and thank God he's, he's doing better, but just visiting the, the, the COVID ward and, and seeing someone there that's, that's struggling, I'm just, can I just tell you, I'm, but it's just sad. It's just sad. And what happens is I vigilantly attack my sadness with trying to make myself happy, doing everything I can to make myself happy. I just got to pray more. I just got to get into to scripture more. I just got to do whatever I can to vigilantly go after this sadness because we want to cover it up. And if that doesn't work, I'll move into the fleshly side. And I'll try to numb it. And I'll try to avoid and I'll, I'll have these behaviors, you know, that are I'll overcompensate in a certain area because God forbid we ever feel pain for a minute. As Americans, God forbid it that we ever have a, a moment of weakness. So I was just thinking about that and thinking, God, what do we do? What do we do in this season of, of fighting, the season of anger, the season of just division and People just being mean. <laughs> I think you say, you know what? It's okay just to sit. And as much as you want God to move in your life and as much as you want to get beyond it and just get to happy again, maybe the most holy thing that you can do today is to sit. Is to sit. God will solve it. But before he solves it, I believe he just wants to sit. You know that Jesus, when he came to this earth... He, he conquered the issue of sin and death in three days, did he not? But he sat with us in the issue of sin and death for 33 years. That should tell you something. Jesus wept. 
Job wept. Maybe today you need to give yourself permission to weep, to cry out to God. Maybe you're in in pain today, and in just a moment, I'm just going to invite you to do that. It might get awkward. It might get clumsy. It might get weird. I really don't know. But God forbid we, we move past a moment just to get to happy without sitting and allowing. Here's what I thought. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is our comforter. Jesus says, you know, it's better that I go because I'm going to send another who's going to live in you. He's going to be with you. He's going to be in you. He will comfort you. And so if that's true, Jesus, and I believe that it is, I'm just going to sit and let you comfort me today. And I think that's what he wants to do. Now, again, I know some of you, the anthem of your heart is not pain. That you're all good. And you're thinking, well, he had nothing for me. I'm going to come back next week and see. No. No. Your job as a follower of Jesus, we are priests and we are ministers. We are not consumers. Your job is to pray for those today that are in pain, that are going to stand and acknowledge in just a moment that they're in pain. They don't need someone to talk to them about it. They don't need someone to fix things for them. They are just in pain. And your job today is to stand in solidarity and say, I'm just going to pray for you. That's your job today. And so I'm going to have the band come out right now and help me. And this is what I want to say. If you are in a season of pain in your life, emotional pain, physical pain, spiritual pain, maybe it's mental illness, that's your pain. And everyone's judging you. And it's not that you're any more broken than the rest of us. It's just your your brokenness is a little more public. If there's just pain, Would you allow the comfort of the Holy Spirit to comfort you? Would you put yourself in a position right now to say, you know what, I'm just in pain. I don't care who knows it. I just need people to stand in solidarity with me. If that's you right now, would you stand up wherever you are in this room? Listen, listen, listen. None of us know your pain. But we cry with you. God cries with you. And God loves you. God wants to comfort you. God wants to put his arms around you. The Holy Spirit wants to lock arms with you in this moment. And we're believing that he will. We're going to pray for you. We're going to sing. We're going to pray. We're just going to believe that God is who he says he is, that the Holy Spirit will do what the Holy Spirit says he will do. We're not gonna try to answer it and solve it because chances are it's not gonna get solved on our timetable. But we're gonna sit with you and we're gonna cry with you and we're gonna believe that God's gonna comfort you. The Bible says that he comforts the brokenhearted. And if that's true, can we just pray that right now? Would everybody stand up? And we're gonna pray for those and we're gonna sing together and we're just going to create a moment and allow God to meet us. God, we just ask right now, Holy Spirit, comforter, friend, God, that we would sense your presence so thick in this place today 
For those that are hurting, God, we hurt with them. God, we want to be empathetic. We're starving for someone to just care. And so, God, we, are, we have empathy and compassion for those today that are in a place of pain, God, and they're just crying out to you. And so, God, we ask that you would meet them. Whenever we cry out, God, you, you, you meet us time and time again. So in this moment, God, you just comfort them. Holy Spirit, would you sit with them? Would you give us the room, God, to, to not rush to solving? but to lament and to mourn because we want to have true freedom. And so I pray right now, God, that your strength would be made perfect in our weakness. Those that stood to say, you know what, I'm weak. I cannot do this on my own. And that strength would be perfected through our weakness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com yes. There'll be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.